Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We have a wonderful guest today, my friend, Laura Polly. Hello, Laura. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. I have to tell people before we start, Laura, about that one, we really didn't know each other. We, I think we found each other on Facebook. Then we had ended up having so many mutual friends and even mutual mentors that we, when I, last time I was in San Francisco, Laura came to where I was staying in San Francisco and we drank champagne and had day old caviar. <laughs> and my friend, it was so much fun. And I was so grateful you came, Laura. And my friend, George, and everybody knows George who from, who was an olive oil importer for years, had brought me beautiful caviar and toast points. I couldn't eat it all. And Laura was not at all fussy and didn't say something like, I don't want your stinking leftover caviar. <laughs> and in fact, we ate every bite and drank that beautiful champagne. So Laura, it's one of my fondest memories. Oh, thank you. Mine too. And who says no to caviar? <laughs> and you know what else? Impromptu parties. What's wrong with impromptu parties? That's what- They're the best. It's the best. So darling, here's what I, I had told Laura when we talked for a few minutes before we started. Laura, I want you to tell people how you got into food and, and then we'll talk about your cooking classes, which are fantastic. And that's when I really, when you, I follow you on Facebook because I love to see your cooking classes. And then talk about how you've just ended up with a new part-time gig that you're doing that I think so many people are envious of and maybe just afraid to even try it, which is working at World Kitchen. So I'm so excited for you. So that, those are your marching orders, young lady. You start talking about <laughs> how you got into food. So I got I got into food because I, a heart broken heart. I'm a I'm a walking country song. <laughs> I um I was I was engaged and uh, called it off at the last minute and went into a bit of a depression for a couple months. You know, I get up, go to work, come home, go to bed, get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. And um and that Christmas, I thought I really need to do something nice for myself. And I'd always wanted to take this cooking class at um, Home Chef. I'm sure you remember Home Chef. I, I went through the Home <laughs> Chef training program, Laura. <laughs> Another thing we have in common. So that Christmas, I gave myself a 10-week cooking class at Home Chef. And it was all the, the techniques every Saturday morning. And I never knew how to cook. I, I literally burned water. I, uh, I've melted a few pots in my day. And uh, I had a mother and a grandmother who were the most amazing cooks, but never taught me. So, um, so I'd always wanted to learn. And so I just did it that, that, um, that Christmas. And I fell in love with cooking. And I took every class they offered. And then I started assisting in every class they offered. And at that point, I remember... So after my, after the very first class, I, I walked out of Home Chef and right across the breezeway was um, a bookstore and in the window was under the Tuscan sun. And, um, and I, had, I had just started researching my family ancestry. My grandfather was from Lucca in Tuscany. And so I did a pivot, went in the bookstore, bought the book and went home and read the whole thing. And that night I decided this is what I'm going to, these are my people. This is where I need to be. 
Um, and so at that point, my dream was to have a cooking school in Italy to, to um, refurbish a farmhouse in, in Tuscany and, and have a cooking school, a destination cooking school for people. You know, I wanted to grow basil on my back porch. I wanted to sleep with fabulous Italian men. <laughs> now, that was also, that's also been a dream of mine, Laura. <laughs> now, I don't give a shit. I can buy basil, but I have always had a dream of sleeping with more Italian fabulous men. And I have not met my quota. <laughs> well, I haven't even had one, so you're oh. ahead of me. <laughs> So that was the goal. And that's what I was marching toward. And at the time I was working in tech and, you know, it was the, it was the dot com and, um, you know, our stock options were worth bazillions of dollars on paper. And, and I had literally at one point had my Tuscan farmhouse picked out and, uh, and then the market crashed and took my Tuscan villa with it. And so I just started teaching cooking at home and I would since I couldn't be in Tuscany, I'd put on Pavarotti and I would teach how to make fresh pasta. And, um, and so that's how that started. And um, so I taught, I taught cooking out of my house. I'd put on Pavarotti, we'd, we'd uh, make pizza and pasta and, and have a glorious time. And, and at that point, I thought that was as close to Tuscany, uh, my Tuscan farmhouse as I'd ever get. Um, through some seemingly random, but in hindsight, rather divinely led occurrences, I ended up going to cooking school. Um, so one day I came home from work and I think it was 2000, 2000, it was 2001. Of course it was, it was, um, it was early September, 2001. And I came home and, you know, when we had those, uh, answering machines with the light blinking, remember those archaic machines? Yeah. Um, I came home and that red light was on and I listened to it and the voice said, hi, I'm calling from the French Culinary Institute and we got your registration on our, on our website and we're sending you a packet. And if you're ever in New York, stop by and um, come visit us. I'd never heard of the French Culinary Institute. I'd never signed anything on their website. I, I had no intention of going to cooking school. I just wanted to have my own um, little vacation destiny cooking school in Tuscany. And, and so I, I just, I deleted it because I thought, well, maybe they got the wrong person or I don't know. Um, and then uh, the next day I came home from work and another, <laughs> the blinking light. And it was from uh, the Eon Van Zant show. And she's a, um, she works yes. a lot with Oprah. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, months earlier in a one night in a fit of insomnia, I was up till two in the morning watching one of her reruns. And, and it was just a message that struck home. And so I just went on the website and wrote a note about it. And so that blinking light was, hi, we're calling from the Ian LeVan's Dance Show. We'd love to have you on our show to talk about what you wrote. Can you be here tomorrow in New York? So <laughs> I called them up and I, I said, I can't be there tomorrow, but I can be there Thursday. And, uh, and then I called the French culinary and I said, well, I'm going to be in New York. So how about I stop by on Friday? So I did a red eye out Wednesday night. I taped the Eon LeVan Zant show on Thursday morning. And then, um, and then on Friday or Thursday afternoon. And then Friday, I went to the French culinary Institute that morning and sat in on one of the classes. And I just fell in love with it. I just thought, oh my God, I, I, this, I would give anything to do this. But at the time it was just, it was completely inconceivable, just money and time and everything. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how I could possibly do it. So 
um, I flew home that, uh, that Saturday. And then on, um, the next week was nine 11. And okay. so, um, and so that took, that crashed everything. And so I thought, well, this is not meant to be. And, um, and then a year later, I received an email, uh, with a, uh, a letter from the French Culinary Institute saying, we're coming to town with some of our chefs, come meet our alumni. And I had, I purchased two plates that had been painted by different chefs. There was Drager's here. You remember Drager's? I taught at Drager's a hundred years ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it was a gorgeous so, looking school and it was a wonderful market. It was incredible. Was it right. attached? Yes. Yeah. So there was the, um, the one in Menlo Park and the one yes. in um, San Mateo. Yes. So um, I went, I think it was the San Mateo one and um, they were auctioning all these chef's plates. And there was a plate by Jacques Pepin and a plate by Tracy Jardiner that I wanted. And so I bid on them and I won. And, and this was years earlier. And so the, the French culinary event was happened to be at Jardiner. Um, are there co coincidence? I don't know. But um, the only reason I went to this, because it was still inconceivable. I mean, the market had crashed and taken my, my 401k with it. And, um, and so I had these two plates. And the only reason I went to this was to get Jacques Pepin and Tracy to sign my plates. That was the only reason I went. And it was pouring rain. And I had to drive up from Burlingame. And I, I just thought, you know, if you don't go, you're going to regret it. So drove up in buckets. And I got to Jardiner and Jacques graciously signed my plate, Tracy signed my plate. And, and, and it was such an amazing evening talking to the chef, Jacques Pepin, Andre Soltner, um, uh, uh, some alumni were there and they were just the, the, the enthusiasm and the passion and the love they had for this. And I thought, gosh, I'm sitting in a cube looking out of the tar Target parking lot, making websites no one cares about. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> and, um, and then that, uh, that Friday, a few days later, they had a, another event up at Copia. Uh, may, it, may it rest in peace. Yes. Um, they had another event at Copia. And so I just, I thought, I'm going to go. And I went up and, and again, Jacques was there and he came up to me and he said, you are the woman with the plate. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, Andre Soltner was there. Alon Sayak was there. Um, uh, Andrea Emma Robinson was there. And, um, and it was just, they were, it was just amazing. It was just an incredible experience to talk to people who are so passionate about what they do you know, I had never experienced that. And, and so the next day they, they were teaching classes. So I, and I thought I've got to, I've got to, I've got to stay for this. So I called a friend um, up in Napa and crashed on her couch. And the next day I took all, all the classes each of them offered. And at the end of the day, the head of um, recruiting for the French culinary, and we just sort of been chatting uh, over those, over those two days, he came up to me and he said, Laura, just send me a check. And I said, oh, no, no, I paid for these classes this morning. He goes, no, you're going to cooking school. Just oh. fill out the application and send me a deposit. I go, I'm not going to. And he's like, Laura, you're going to cooking school. <laughs> just fill out the form and send me a deposit. Now, and, Laura, and I have to tell you something because this is so fabulous. <laughs> there is a trend, I always say. There is a theme, I should say. when. With the women that have been on the podcast, there have been 
they're strong women that say things like you did that this is inconceivable at the moment or from heartbreak or pain build something better do you know what I mean build a whole life for themselves so it's so I I want to just say to go from a broken engagement to all of a sudden eat and see Judith people don't know home chef was it called by Judith at Hoken she started this right now she'd been a cook but and she, she's worth noting because there were only one or two cooking schools in San Francisco. This was before the culinary, you know, academies opened. Mm -hmm. There was Joyce Goldstein had a school and Judith. Now, Judith, talk about success. And this is the reason. She renamed techniques, if you remember. Now, home oh. show, remember? She called them, she, but she took classic, um, techniques like blanching there was the example mm -hmm. and she called them something like always have green vegetables but she didn't use the word blanch Blanch. she what what was amazing she had fabulous handouts she knew what she was doing she did a great service to a lot of people but you know she eventually sold that as a corporate entity and made a small fortune i mean really made a small fortune and Good for her yes it was wonderful i met her at a food show i she knew i lived in la i met her as a stylist in san francisco she said denise you should come down and she was opening everywhere they were in newport they were in san francisco and we and anyway i went through it and what like and actually laura then when they i finally had to go you had to jump through hoops to become an instructor for her and i'd already oh, wow. UCLA and different places, but I loved her handouts and I, I, I admired her savvy. Mm -hmm. I never did become a teacher because at that moment, because I was so impressed by her, I started to write my own first book and I got a book deal. So I, I said goodbye to Home Chef, but I all of a sudden thought I can write a book. I know as much as other people. Do you know what I mean? So right, absolutely. It, it's like you, but I love talk. And now I I look for signs. I am one of those. <laughs> I look for signs, good and bad in the universe. And you obviously had signs. That I you had were so many. I mean, the universe was screaming at me. <laughs> When Jacques Pepin remembers you, they're the woman with the plate. That's a good sign. And I just want to say the other thing, if people don't know, Copia, and talk about the other side of, Copia was Julia Child and Robert Mondavi and all their connections with the American Institute of Wine and Food. And they wanted to build this gorgeous place, which they did as far as the gardens and the people that came to it. I always thought it kind of looked like a prison, but I mean, it's, and I had a friend that, was a big shot there for many years that worked there. And I taught there and spoke there a couple of times, but you know what? It was before it's time. It was before yeah. it's time, Laura. And so I just say that to people, people looked it up. I think the CIA in uh, the Napa Valley bought it. I think yes. that's what I, but it languished yeah. for a while and they could never, as much as people loved food and Julia Child and Robert Mondavi, they couldn't make it work. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it was so sad because it was, it was so beautiful. Sad. So not every idea works. That's all. That's the only reason I point that out. But so now you decide you're going to go to culinary school again because you'd gone to Judas course, but you were going. Yeah. Out. So now it was like now I was on this 
vision to become a, a chef as opposed yeah. to a, my cooking school with fabulous Italian men. <laughs> so um, so uh, I, I went to my manager and, um, and so I'd been accepted to start in uh, May of the next year. And, and so I went to my manager and I said, um, you know, if there's a layoff between now and then I'm in. And, and there was a layoff three years to the day that I started and um, sold everything I owned. Um, and I, I was okay until the day before I left, my car drove off. I sold my car and watching my car drove off. I just went, oh dear God, what have I done? <laughs> yes. I thought, just go, just go. You can always come back, just go. So I moved to New York and went to cooking school. It was grueling. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was, it was grueling. And, um, and when class was oh, at, after six months, we graduated and um, I came back to San Francisco for a few months. I cooked at Farallon uh, with the amazing Park Ulrich and Mark Franz and Emily Lucchetti. And I also um, cooked on the, in the back kitchen on Jacques Pepin's first uh, fast food my way. Oh, yes. And then I headed to France because my goal at the time was to go to New York City and be a chef in New York City. But at the time I was 40 and I just thought, is a, is a New York chef going to hire me over a 21 year old guy? And, and the answer know, to that probably is no, no. <laughs> especially with no cooking experience. So yeah. I thought, well, I'll go to France for six months. All the great chefs have always gone to France and come back and I'll, I'll have some unique experience that I could bring to the table. And so packed my knives and my clogs. I had a big duffel bag. Everything I owned was in this duffel bag and, um, washed up on the shores of Cannes and I cooked at the Cannes Film Festival and uh and then I headed up north to Brittany and I cooked on a lobster boat and I still I have scars I still have the scars I bet those, you damn fi- those damn fish <laughs> and um and then I went down to Paris and uh I got to Paris and I remember coming off the the train at Montparnasse and I I just had this Mary Tyler Moore moment um, I'm dating myself with that because probably a lot of people don't know who that is, but I just had this Mary Tyler Moore moment where I wanted to throw my beret up in the air and twirl around. Um, it was the first time in my life I had felt I am home and, and I just thought I can't leave. I'm not leaving in three months. There's no way. And, um, so I had an internship at, uh, my first internship there was at Pierre Hermé, uh, pastry making 4,000 macaroons a day. And then I went to the George Sank and I had an internship there. And then I was the chef at a chateau in uh, just outside of Paris where they filmed the Da Vinci Code. And the cool thing was I got to be there um, when they filmed it. Which, oh, very cool. To see a blockbuster movie being made was, I mean, it was mind blowing. It was, it, it just, I mean, it, it, you can't even wrap your brain around what goes into it. They were there for a week filming and um, they had 300 people, a hundred trailers, three trailers just for the food, just to feed everybody. Yes. Um, it took place at night um, in the movie. So they would start filming at about 11 and wrap up around four. Uh, it was, it was remarkable, you know, all for about five minutes of the movie. Um, this part that people much like TV in the same thing, when I've done shows or, or like there's Tom Hanks and it's huge in the Da Vinci Code, but you realize that 
for all of that, there may have only been three day, three pages of dialogue for yeah. the whole to move the story along. So the cost of what it takes, if they're if they're doing it well, do you know what I mean? That's all. Right. It, but it, I agree, and I never got tired of seeing movies. I never get tired of seeing movies or TV made, Laura, because it really done well. It's extraordinary. It's fascinating. fascinating. There's one scene if you remember in the movie, they the Tom Hanks, they, he um, tears down the gates to the chateau, and um, and in you know in real life, I mean these gates are 700 years old, so they can't <laughs> tear them off. So what they were going to do is they opened the gates and then they built a wall in front of them and then put in fake gates. And and so I I had to go into Paris one morning and 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 they were going to build them that day. So I came back late that afternoon. And I said, "You guys haven't built the gates." And they said, "Laura, these are the fake gates." They I mean, they had it down to the peeling paints. Yes. I mean, you could not tell the difference. It was mind-blowing what they what they did. Um I, I mean, it just it takes your breath away. I want to say something. I know that feeling of when your car drove away and you realize, Laura, it's like, you know what I think of? It's like if you ever played dice, not that I hung out in bars a lot, <laughs> but when you play I've dice, heard and you shake, you know, when you play dice at the bar and you shake the cup and then it goes out and, you know, and that's the whole game. Well, I've done that in my life a couple of times where you just put everything in the cup and then you shake it and then inside for a moment I've never had it more than a moment or two that I thought oh Christ what was I thinking do you know what I mean <laughs> what you know ah, what was I thinking so I love that and of course it would be something symbolic like your car driving away to make those feelings come up do you know what I mean and yeah. that's the part. I, yeah the other side is get saying your Mary Tyler Moore moment one, if you're lucky enough, I'm not sure. I don't, I can't speak for others. I've had that a couple of times, but I knew it's because I was exactly where I was supposed to be and that I'd created it all by myself. And that was real. Mm. You know what I mean? There's times in my life that the good or bad, and I've, of course, my failure rate, because I am an adventurous person, has been huge. People never think about all the failures. I mean, so many rejections so many rejections that you know I, it proves I'm not very bright but so for you were you afraid were you afraid ever when you went so you get to Paris but and you made it work and you made money were there nights when you got in bed that you were afraid oh all the time every every night <laughs> I mean it was it was the it was probably the one time in my life where I thought okay feel the fear and do it anyways yes and um, I'd always heard that term and heard people say it. And I thought, well, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a, an internal conversation where I had to talk myself through the fear. Yes. And just say, you know, you can always go back. It's going to be okay. You can make this work one foot at a time. Um, so what? yeah, it was terrifying. But I love the dice analogy. Terrifying. One of the things that we talked about when Laura and I had champagne and caviar, Laura, is that your a mentor to you was Jerry DeVecchio. Yes. And still is a dear friend of yours. And if people, most people that listen to this podcast, Laura, are anywhere from 40 to 80. 
Do you know what I mean? I don't know that we're on the rest home circuit yet, but we're trying to break into that market. But <laughs> we have, if people that have been in food that listen to us know, Jerry DeVecchio was the editor of Sunset Magazine in its glory years. I mean, really. I don't, how long was she there, Laura? Do you know? I would just be guessing. 15 years? Yeah, 40, 42. 42. Wow, I was off. Now, <laughs> growing up, growing up, the reason, because again, I grew up in San Francisco. I grew up in Marin. My mother got Sunset Magazine every month that it came in the mail. And I, that's what turned me on to cooking. Mm. I saw the food photographs that they did. And my mother, of course, would have a dinner party on Saturday night. And that they were from Sunset Magazine. Amazing. Amazing. I, I remember I remember the magazine coming every month. Um, here's a funny story about that. So growing up, my grandmother used to make this cheesecake and it was just the most unbelievable cheesecake. It was like eating a cloud. And so <clears throat> about 10 years ago, I called my grandmother and said, hey, can you send me that recipe for cheesecake? And she said, <laughs> oh, that's from Sunset. And I was like, what? You've just, you've just burst the bubble of my childhood. I had visions of this cheesecake hailing from outsells of Rome. And so I, so I called Jerry and I said, Jerry, did you do that cheesecake recipe? And she said, oh, cheesecake Anne? Well, Anne's her daughter, who was one of my closest friends. And, and so my, my world came full circle. <laughs> I see stuff today and I'm not, uh, so I'm in a food magazine. I see stuff today, the walking taco salad, but it's called, has every name possible now. And now of course people make them in individual ones and they act like it's, you know, brilliant. Or I see a cheese board or I see a cup, uh, you know, lined with phyllo pastry and then you cook the egg in it, which we did in the nineties for Susie and Summers cause it was a, a wonton wrapper or something. But I see recipes all the time and I say to myself, Sunset Magazine. <laughs> I think that, I mean, they covered it. I worked for, so this was my thing why I wanted to share this. Laura, talk about full circle. So when you had told me that at dinner, champagne night, I grew up, went to the Culinary Academy late, 33 years old, same year Jesus died on the cross. And, um, I wanted to get a job at Sunset Magazine, okay? Oh, wow. Because I already knew that I wanted to be a food stylist because I had met a woman, a beautiful woman named Charlotte. I can't think of her last name at the moment. I, that's bad. And she had come to the CCA and she taught a few days of food styling like it is a little tiny course. And she said, oh, yes, I had an internship at Sunset Magazine. Oh, wow. So she called them. I don't think it was Jerry. I mean, Jerry was in charge, but she, I, I'd known all of the editors at that time. And then later on, I worked and helped them produce Taste of Sunset. It was one of the first big food shows. Remember all the chefs, Jeremiah Tower, everybody came and was on stage. And, you know, I organized their demos. It was a big deal. And that's when I met Jerry personally and, and met her. But I have to tell you something. They said they'd give me a try and I got there for one day and the editor is still alive so I can't say her name and she's a wonderful woman but I was a chef as you know a, a, a baby chef going to chef school and I was so frightening 
to those home economists in that day and age at Sunset <laughs> Magazine, they I, they didn't ask me back. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you were ahead of your time. Okay. Like Copia, you're ahead of your time. Uh, one or two days I was there and then they said, oh, we're busy <laughs> or, you know, uh, we can't date you any longer or, 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 oh, you know, our other intern came back or we'd rather hire Frankenstein than you come to work for us or whatever their excuse was. They were nice, but I didn't fit. You see what I'm saying? Now, when I look mm -hmm. back, I was so devastated, Laura. I thought I'm oh, never, I you know. I will have no career in this business, I, my dream job. Well, then of course, as I, my own career grew, I realized I wasn't a good fit for Sunset Magazine, okay? Mm. I learned throughout my whole career, I wasn't a good fit working for other people. I couldn't even keep my mm. mouth shut long enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd stay- <laughs> No, I don't, I don't know what you mean at all, Denise. <laughs> I'd stay someplace for like three months and literally, was just gonna get a promotion or something. I think I learned everything from this walk-in I'm ever gonna learn and I quit my job. By the way, I had no money. I don't want you to think I, mean, I was broke. Some I was so broke so many years in my career. I used to say to my sweet cat, one of us isn't gonna get to eat, okay? <laughs> I'm not sharing that can of tuna. So I, but that, you know, I had no other way to do it. So now answer me this. So Jerry, so then did Jerry, tell me if you would mind if it's not, what, so here you've graduated from school and you're working in different places and you've gone to Europe. When you came back to the States, did you know you had to settle in San Francisco? No, I came back because I, I got really sick in France and I got scared and, um, and, and I didn't have insurance, but it's fine when you're in any other first world country. Yes. But, uh, but um, I was a week from coming home and, and I thought, you know, if that had happened here, forget it. So I, I thought, well, I'll come back and I'll get a job in tech again, get back in the healthcare system and, and then transfer back there with a tech company. And, <clears throat> and that just never happened. So, um, you know, then life, life has a way of getting a way of living. <laughs> yes. And so I just, I stay, you know, I had half a foot in food and a foot and a half in tech. And, um, and, and I just, you know, plotted on until about, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but honey, see, this is very valuable information. People think it's either, either, or, either, or, do you know what I'm saying? Well, that's mm -hmm. not really financially most, and I'm speaking financially. Oh yeah. That's if it, I wanted to get into food styling, I putting together my portfolio, but I worked every Saturday. I took on, and I was so lucky when this job came, I'd met the woman who was in charge of the Macy's home stores. So as they were expanding, oh, she, we met on a shuttle coming out of the San Francisco airport. And I told her what I did. And she put me to work every Saturday in one of the home stores mm. with a famous chef. Now, Laura, they paid me 200 bucks, which I know sounds like $20 now, but 200 bucks times four was $800 a month. So that was my house, right. you know, my condo payment that I was buying. Right. And it gave me that little bit of money that made me not afraid 
to keep pursuing what I was doing. So the fact that you're good in tech and that you've been able to support yourself during the rough times, that's commendable. And young women that say to me, oh, I'm never gonna be able to have my dream job. I said, honey, dream, dream, dream jobs. No one's knocking on your door saying, hello, hello. <laughs> that's not how it works. But if you can support yourself and parallel, parallel lines, be working on your career, that's genius. Yeah, you know, I always say that, you know, tech tech paid the wallet and cooking paid the soul. That's right. Now, so. did Jerry have advice for you in your career? I'm just curious because I think mentors are so, so important. And I had two or three fantastic mentors that really changed my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to this day, she's still a mentor. So, um, uh, you know, Jerry's been just so encouraging. And I think her, probably her, 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 you know, her biggest advice to me is, um, look what you've done. Exactly. Uh, you know, she keeps reminding me, look what you've accomplished. Look what you've done. You're, you've got one foot in tech, another foot in food and, and you're doing it and you're, you're always trying new things. So for her, it was just, just, uh, you know, just an avalanche of support and encouragement, which really buoyed me through the last 20 years, um, especially in those days where you, where it's like, how am I going to pay the rent and what am I doing? And, you know, the chef just yelled at me and this person just told me I wasn't cut out to be in, in, yes. in cooking. And, um, you know, we won't say her name, <laughs> but, um, you know, those moments when you're just really down, um, you know, you pick up the phone and call Jerry and she just, she brings you back. Now I want our audience to know, we're going to have, Laura's gonna come back and do another podcast for us about your cooking school that you do have in your home, Laura, and also give us some tips to entertaining. But Laura, what I wanna ask you, so with all your travels and now what you're doing, when you posted on Facebook that you were gonna start working part-time for World Kitchen, I am so proud of you and so excited mm. for you. Now, I hope everybody knows what World Kitchen is, but if they don't, you tell us. So thank you so much. It's World Central Kitchen and it's a humanitarian organization uh, started by Jose Andreas. And he, it's, it's amazing what he's created in such a short time, but um, he's got such an incredible network, uh, a yes. supply chain network and, um, and a resource network that they're able to go in anytime there's a humanitarian crisis, um, a fire, a flood, a hurricane, um, an explosion, whatever it is, they, they are so connected, they're able to mobilize immediately. I mean, they're like a MASH unit from, uh, from the show MASH. They're literally a culinary MASH unit and they can show up pretty much immediately and start feeding people. And that's their 100% their concern is just getting food to people. Laura, when I first read about it, now I don't know if Puerto Rico was one of his first endeavors, yeah. but yes, but I, I know I've met Jose Andreas. I would hardly say I know him, but I've met him at, you know, at a cocktail party and, um, and, you know, he's bigger than life. I mean, his personality was bigger than life. And so when I read what he was doing, I thought, and he opened that restaurant in LA for a while, the bazaar bazaar yeah that was fabulous now i think that was a little ahead of its time too do you know what i mean mm -hmm. i mean it, yeah now I, one of the things that's interesting with timing so here and i just want to want complete one thought 
So it, one foot in tech and one foot in food, and I did the same thing, you know, keeping this, working at what I was good at so that I could support food styling before my business took off a little bit. But you know what? That's, we did that because, and it wasn't the norm then. Do you know what I mean? You were supposed to just get a job and live, work at it. But if you see the generation of people now, they all have side hustles. Do you all know of I mean? them. Yeah. A very interesting thing that, that, now it's not so unusual. So you can be a jewelry designer on the weekends and you do this during the week, you're a nurse during the week, but that used to kind of not be the norm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. to not be the norm was when Puerto Rico was those poor people and Jose Andreas, one of the most famous chefs in the world, right. says, I can feed these people. I remember reading it thinking, huh? It was, <laughs> what? Yeah. It was to me. Yeah, he wrote a he wrote a book about it, and um, I mean it's remarkable. I mean they were able to go in there, and I mean that's you know when you when you think about what people need, people need shelter and food, yeah. and um, he takes care of that. Um, at the glass fires, uh, it, uh, in August of 2020, um, I think it broke out like Sunday night, Monday morning, very early in the morning. And I got a call Monday around nine saying, can you come up to Santa Rosa? I got up there at three and they'd already, they had the food truck running and they'd already put out about 700 meals. Oh my God. I mean, it, it's remarkable. I mean, they're not constrained. They don't take any um, government funding. It's all donation. And they are able to just go in and start feeding people. And now mm -hmm. did you tell me that you're starting a training tomorrow, Laura, with the World Central Kitchen? Yes. So as soon as we're done here, I am, I rented a car and I'm driving down to LA. It's a two day training and they teach us how to set up an activation. So um, whenever there's a crisis, they call them activations. And, um, you know, in the past I've just gone, I, I show up, I go straight to the kitchen yeah. and I start cooking with the chefs, but this, they tell you, they, they train you how to set it up, like how to find the place, how to activate the, the supply chain, um, how to set up the volunteers, how to work with the local Red Cross, local government, city councils, um, how to start getting the food out. That's the first, you know, that's their main concern. So we'll learn all about, that's all I know. Um, okay. well, so I'm really excited. That is a third podcast that you will have to come back. <laughs> Doesn't she, Cindy, in a, in a couple of months and tell us about it. And I'm not praying for disasters in the world, but I really want you to take pictures and, and keep a diary because this is fascinating. And you know what really is fascinating about Laura is that you're not afraid to do it. Oh, See, this you. is, no, this is, I, we recently had a guest on, Crescent Dragon Wagon, who I've known for 30 years, but her um, seminar was on self-compassion. And she teaches writing things about fearless living and fearless writing. And ever since I talked to her, I, I was, I've never felt like I was a fearful person. I kind of did what I wanted to in life. Do you know what I mean? And that's just because I was stubborn and again, not particularly not looking at that brick wall as the train was speeding. Oh, we'll avoid it. But I just, but I've learned something that if you aren't fearless, and driving to LA to go to this activation class and do this, you know, is, is fearless. 
and good for you. I'm, it's, a, I think you. it's inspirational. It, we, if we all can find things that we are, are afraid of, but we'll still do, I think we would be a, a better society. Oh, amen, sister. You yeah. know, it's feel, feel the fear and do it anyways. Thank you. Well, all right. So our guest today, Laura Polly. Uh, Laura Polly, Laura, what is your website's name? My website is Cucina Testarossa, C-U-C-I-N-A-T-E-S-T-A-R-O-S-S-A.com. And it means the Redhead's Kitchen. When I was little, my grandfather from Tuscany used to call me Testarossa. Oh my God, I love that. I'm so glad (laughs) I asked that. Well, so thank you, Laura, for your time today. This has been absolutely remarkable. And I know that you're busy and you squeezed us in. And my pleasure. So I hope that people, and I hope that people will listen to our next podcast because Laura knows so much about wine and entertaining. And then it's just, and did not sneer when I served the caviar on the dinosaur paper plates. In fact, embraced them the same way. (laughs) Because a dinosaur paper plate was better than no plate at all. That was exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you, Miss Cindy, who keeps the wheels on the train. And good luck. And we look forward, we're going to contact you again in a couple of months so we can hear about the World Central Kitchen and what you've learned from them. I love Thank it. Thank you so much. I'd be honored to come back. Oh, if people want to reach us, it's Women Beyond at iCloud.com. We have an active Facebook page and we have a semi active, uh, semi active, well, doesn't matter. But we, <laughs> Cindy's going to edit that out. And then sometimes when I listen to my own podcast, I realize she doesn't edit out my mistake. And I think, oh, I guess that's either charming or she really doesn't like me. Okay. Woman <laughs> Beyond at iCloud.com. Question, answers. Thanks so much. Goodbye, everybody. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>